Welcome to Shopify Masters, the weekly podcast brought to you by Shopify, your companion for starting and building a business. I'm Shwang Esther Shan, and this week we are chatting with Christian Arnstead, the CEO of Blizzard Capital, an incubator and venture capital firm powering direct-to-consumer brands. He's also a founder himself and an investor on Lion's Den, the Danish version of Shark Tank. In this episode, we get to learn from Christian on how he built and skilled businesses beyond eight figures, what he looks for when investing in digital-first brands, and how he and his team are incorporating a sustainability mandate in all aspects of running businesses. Before our show, I want to let you know about Shopify Inbox. It's a brand new free sales channel that you can set up right in your admin. With Inbox, you can manage all the customer conversations from your store and social media in one place, plus chat and anywhere using the mobile app or on the web. Most importantly, Inbox can help you close sales. Since 70% of Shopify Inbox conversations are with customers who are making a purchasing decision. Use the power of chat to turn browsers into buyers. For more information, visit shopify.com slash chat. Now let's teleport ourselves to Blizzard Capital's buzzing office in Copenhagen, where this episode was recorded. Christian Arnstead and his team have been building and scaling countless direct-to-consumer brands, from watches to sunglasses, clothing, cosmetics, home decor, and even coffee. It's impossible to ignore the impact that Christian and his team have had on the e-commerce industry. What's even more astounding is the fact that Blizzard Capital only started in 2017, when Christian decided to forge his own path and leave behind a much-admired career in consulting. Lazar is founded by uh, me and a couple of partners called Pascal and Vasily. Pascal was an old colleague from my former job in McKinsey. Vasily, he came from an e-commerce company called The Hot Group in, in the UK. We teamed up some years ago and I thought it could be a lot of fun to make a house that helps incubate new consumer brands. So brands that are typically born digitally. Many of them are actually born using the Shopify platform to, uh, to do their sales on and then uh, help scale these brands fast. So we have this house Blazer that we have set up to support new brands in the way that we have a tech team that supports them with everything they need on the tech side. We have a paid media team and an agency that supports with everything that's needed on paid media. And then we are also supporting on other functions such as handling logistics globally and supporting in, in getting the finances done in the first couple of years where a founder may have a lot of other tasks as well to handle in the day. So we try to really set up a house with all the different things that you need as a new business. It's impressive because you guys have also built your own brand and within a couple of years is scaled beyond eight figures. So tell us about the first brand that you built, Nord Green, and how it all started. So North Green was one of the first things we uh, we started out with. Pascal and Vasily have, have actually also been using a lot of time uh, in, in the years following on that brand. It has just been a great ride. It came from the idea that Danish design is known uh, in many countries as high-end design and something aspirational. And then we got an opportunity to work with one of the lead designers who has designed a lot of the collections for the Danish design brand called Bang & Olufsen. Jacob, he was just an, an international design star and being able to do Danish design together with one of the absolute leading 
Danish and Scandinavian designers was just a very interesting opportunity for us. So we launched this watch brand called Nordgreen uh, together with the work that Jacob did with us. And name Nordgreen stands for Nord is because we are from the northern part of Europe. In the Danish way that you spell Nord or North, uh, so it's N-O-R-D, uh, that's the Danish way of writing that. And then green uh, comes from that the brand is very dedicated to, uh, to CSR and to making a positive impact in the world. So that was the, the start there. So it's been a combination of, of a design story and a CSR story. Yeah, as you said, it, it got good traction in the third year to be an eight-digit dollar brand. So, uh, and it's still growing nicely. So that has been one of the fun journeys that we have been so lucky to, to be on the last couple of years. It's amazing that within a few years since 2017, you guys were able to scale so much. What are some, I guess, key pivotal decisions or things that you've done that you felt like really contributed to the scaling? The reason why we are able to work across multiple brands uh, is because we have a strong team on each brand. So every brand has a dedicated leadership that is able to fully run that brand. Uh, of course, tapping into all the support functions that we have in the house, but there is somebody in charge on each brand. Uh, we are working with uh, 15 to 20 brands at, at any given point in time, typically uh, right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, that local ownership and leadership is, uh, is important to us. The world has become very interesting in the sense that with platforms such as your own Shopify, the barrier to entry of starting something has actually become very small. Uh, you can start a website with a limited amount of money and a limited amount of resources. But what we have done by making this infrastructure of all of these specialists people available where you can get a part of a logistics person you can get a part of a developer that has done 50 previous Shopify stores or something like this that just means that I think we've been able to help many of the brands that we work with take the right decisions at the right point in time and not having to go on too many detours figuring out how to do things but being able to apply what they can see some of our other brands are doing. So we are working, trying also to work with cross-facilitating knowledge between the brands. So every brand is not operating in a silo, but they are able to either by talking uh, by the coffee machine mm-hmm. <laughs> or, uh, or also in, in more formal meetings set up for this purpose to discuss what is working for them and, and what is not working and sharing that knowledge. So after Nordgreen, where did you guys move to next? We moved into our sunglass and ski goggles brand called Messy Weekend. Messy Weekend is a challenger to the sunglass industry. They're doing uh, super high quality uh, sunglasses at between 70 to $100 typically, uh, which is below the price that you would normally find for equivalent quality, quite a lot below actually, and also with a vibrant and young brand. So that has been a fun journey as well. Of course, being deep in ski equipment has been a little bit more frictionful during COVID, given that traveling has been more difficult. Unless now Shopify, you're from Canada, so you can ski at home. But uh, but for many other countries like Denmark, we don't have mountains, which means customers, they typically buy this before they're going on their ski trip and, and people haven't been able to. So uh, we have had some businesses that have been completely not impacted by this period that we went through. We had some that grew uh, and, and had, a, had a boost from it. And then we had other things like ski equipment, uh, which was uh, was more challenging. 
For sure, yeah. For the whole portfolio, let's talk about what kind of businesses you guys have been helping from the numbers of it, the different industries that they're in. So we generally like smaller things the most. And the reason why we like that is because our model is typically built on international sales and exports uh, and shipping big things like a sofa long distance if it comes out to the customer and then they figure out that to them the color feels differently than, than what they felt when they looked at the, at the picture. Mm-hmm. Then uh, it's expensive to ship it one way, it's expensive to ship it back. So we prefer smaller things as sort of a criteria of, of when we look into things. We are in, in many different categories, so watches, accessories is, is taking up some. We also have been in home decor, as you mentioned. Uh, we are in uh, baby equipment. We have a couple of apparel brands uh, and some apparel brands that are very uh, leading on sustainability. Then we are, have a ready-to-drink brand uh, here in Denmark. We are part of a coffee brand in the U.S., Are there lessons or suggestions you would give for people who are starting to build? Um, What are some key things they should be thinking about or investing in? That's a good question. One thing that I think matters more and more compared to what it did before is your content. So having content that's sufficiently interesting that people, they want to look at your brand rather than another brand. Uh, because in many things that, that you would be selling online, you would typically have a lot of competitors. Uh, when we are in a watch category or sunglass category or uh, some food category, they have plenty of other businesses to choose from that, that is not ours. And I think being able to cut through the noise and actually be the one that, that people find interesting and, and want to buy from is a challenging uh, task. Because mm-hmm. I think all of the different Bozar brands, they are very editorialized and it is beautiful sites to look at. So, And also their stories, they each have their own story of why they started. So definitely. We think that this story is important, the content is important. It obviously goes without saying that the product needs to be good. If you don't have a good product, then uh, you may get a little bit of customers in the beginning, but then that's it. Uh, mm-hmm. so, uh, so you definitely good product goes goes without saying. Then one thing that we also like as a house is we like uh, companies that have a, a strong CSR agenda. We believe that it's gonna go from something that just a few companies did to something that you need to be strong and have a right to play. So that's important. We also experience that the companies that we are part of that is deep on, on their CSR agenda. As uh, example, we work with a company called Copenhagen Cartel uh, that works with a lot of different fabrics that is, um, is very innovative in, in the way that, that they are working so that they are using uh, reused material to create their fabric and, and so on. Uh, and we see that the employees actually have a lot of pride also for working with these companies uh, because they feel engaged, they see the purpose, they see the vision, and they are proud to be a part of that vision journey. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we think that that's good. And then lastly, it's also the right thing to do, right? Mm-hmm. Definitely. So how do you go and approach industry leaders um, and talk about these partnerships and get them on board to something that's so new? One thing that uh, is, is our model is we have a team that can set up ideas uh, and sort of work with ideas. And then we have done it before. Uh, so I think there is some trust when we reach out to someone. 
there's a bit of track record saying that uh, okay uh, the things you did before uh, you actually know how to do things mm-hmm. <laughs> so so they are they are willing to uh, to trust based on on the experience and, and, and what some of our other brands have, have done before we are working with uh, with that as you said in, in messy weekend we are coming out with uh, a sunglass collection with uh, with one of the biggest YouTubers in in the world, it's not public yet who it is, so I, I can't uh, I can't include all of it. Uh, but um, but there we have something coming in our coffee uh, business. That's actually not a business that was founded by us. Uh, that was founded by Emma Chamberlain. Emma is one of the world's most inspirational creatives out there. I think that her content is is absolutely phenomenal. We uh, we had the pleasure of, of being able to help Emma in the machine room of the of the business uh, and sort of helping bring her vision to life. Mm-hmm. I think for me, I obviously know about Chamberlain Coffee, and I had to trace my steps back and finally link it back to you guys in Copenhagen and realize that Lazar is helping to build her brand. So how did you guys be the team that she chooses? Oh, well, um, <laughs> that's a big question. I think that's uh, that's maybe not for, for me to answer, but, uh, but I think... Um, we understand the vision that Emma has, uh, found a good chemistry in, uh, in supporting the, the vision that she has and, and where she wants to take her brand. Mm-hmm. Um, and then yeah, some experience in, in having done this, uh, this before and, and supporting it uh, because uh, nobody can, can do uh, everything as, as a one-man show. Uh, and, uh, but I must say I'm, I'm really, really impressed about how many things Emma is incredibly good at. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and it's crazy that you guys are now helping her turn those ideas into physical products and also successful products. Uh, I think she just won a streamy for the creator product of the year, so congratulations to you guys for doing that as well. So, yeah. So uh, yeah, we we're very uh, excited around uh, around the work that. Uh, that we're able to help with there and, and find it a lot of fun uh, and also find the vision of the brand. It's all organic, it's uh, speaking to a, a young audience and doing coffee in a very different way than uh, coffee has, has been done before. Uh, so I sometimes uh, yeah uh, get a little bit surprised actually when I compare Chamberlain Coffee with, with many other brands out there, how, how different it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, obviously Blazar is a digital first house, uh, but I see that Turnblind Coffee has pop-ups and it was recently in Erwan, which is a very nice grocery store in LA. So have you guys been experimenting and expanding into retail with other brands? And what are some key steps that you guys are doing when you do do retail experiments? We, we are working with many of our brands in, in, in retail. Uh, most of the things that we, we work with is born digital first, but we definitely still see retail as a super relevant channel uh, and as something that is going to be meaningful as far as we can see in the future. It's still going to be a meaningful channel. So it's definitely something that, that we are also prioritizing. So in our watch brand, as an example, we have big retail presence in, in some of the Asian markets. We have a big retail presence in, in some of the European markets and, and the same across many of our brands. So I would definitely 
think that, that many brands can benefit from being open to an omnichannel strategy. Mm-hmm. For all of the different brands that you're looking at, I wanted to talk about the marketing aspect and if there are universal marketing tactics or strategies that people can think about that would be helpful for when they're starting out to launch or do you feel like it is more case by case and there are not a lot of universal factors to carry around? I mean, I think there is something when you launch about trying to build a momentum and excitement for when the product is coming into the market. So doing what you can in uh, getting people signed up to your email newsletter, maybe before launching, so you are able to get some of those first sales when uh, when you go live and and starting that uh, early. Also trying to uh, to get a bit of noise through other channels that could be by maybe arranging with uh, with some influencers that uh, that you see their product with them when you uh, when you go live. It could be seeing are you able to attract some PR uh, when when you go live and exploit all of these tools that you can use to create a boss and then I would combine that boss that you create then with ads uh, in particular retargeting is in general more efficient uh, than the top funnel where where you need to get new prospects to see your your brand and, and initially you may not have a lot of money so when you launch a brand so if you can combine some of these bus creating activities with some retargeting spend. I think that's a good way to start with a smaller budget. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you have a bigger budget, then you can obviously uh, hit prospecting much harder and, and go out more heavily, but trying to, to do these different things. And then I think doing something different. Every Instagram or Facebook user has seen so many ads uh, every week that just being another ad has become difficult to, to stand out in, in the crowd. So I, I would definitely think about how to go broader as a business in in your scope and, and thinking of your go-to-market approach. Mm-hmm. Amazing. On the flip side, you're also an investor on uh, the Danish Shark Tank. So you also see a lot of pitches and you hear about a lot of businesses. What is it about different businesses that attract you to them and what is actually the thing that you look for when you're ready to invest? So a couple of different things. I have grown more and more fancy over time in terms of products that it thinks like repeat products is, is just as it gets more and more expensive to market online, making sure that you get enough lifetime value of the customer and the category that, that you are in just in my mind becomes increasingly important. Mm-hmm. in order to be able to pay for the cost of, of acquiring a customer. Then to me, it's all about the team, the team, the team, the team. When a business is, is early stage, it's really, really dependent on a few people. And if, if those people have the magic to make it happen, then there's a good chance that it becomes a good business. But in my mind, it is really, really people dependent. We have seen mediocre ideas become great because it was the right people that, that was behind it. Mm-hmm. And speaking of how important teams are, how did you initially pick out your team? Because you mentioned one of them was your ex-colleague um, and then another person that was also within the e-com space. 
So how were you able to determine, hey, this person is someone that I can take a big risk with and start building companies with? Yeah, so uh, Pascal, who was my uh, my colleague, we knew each other very, very well. And uh, he came to me at one point and, and said, I'm thinking about leaving McKinsey to go out and start a company. What do you think about that? And would you maybe be interested in investing in it? And then I... Uh, I was working on the idea of Blazer at that point in time. And then uh, I said to him, that's really interesting. I actually have an idea that goes along the same lines. Why don't we go out and start Blazer together? We quickly agreed that we thought that was a fun vision and then uh, embarked on, on that journey. Then our third co-founder, Vasily, as Khan knew before, he was in the Hot Group, uh, which is also a, a very big e-commerce company. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was excited about the vision also of coming in and building this platform to support new brands. So I think outsider looking in, having a consultancy job, especially at a globally recognized firm, that is already lots of people's dream jobs. So I guess for you personally, why were you having this drive or I guess idea to say, you know what, I'm wanting to do something different? Ah, that's a good question. I have always found it fascinating and had sort of a childhood dream of creating something mm-hmm. uh, and, and building something. Uh, so when I joined McKinsey, I felt like McKinsey is really, really interesting and I really, really enjoyed being in McKinsey. But I sort of had this feeling in my stomach that I hoped I would have the courage to go out and, and one day build my own. And therefore, I said to myself, uh, we need to go out and do this at at some point. I ended up being quite a few years with McKinsey and really enjoyed it there. So there was definitely also a a scenario where I I would have stayed, Uh, but uh, just decided at some point that I needed to follow this this dream. And also not to put more pressure on this question, but I feel like, again, viewing from the outside, you've had smooth sailing success story because you're you were a student at one of the top schools here in Denmark you graduated early um, you're able to have this job and now you're able to build not just your dream company but also a hub that allows other companies to grow for yourself what I guess keeps you going forward because someone might have stopped at first company and they'll be like this is great I've built my dream company but you've continued on that momentum a couple of things first thing first you said that it, it looks like smooth sailing uh, <laughs> there's definitely a thing in startups that every week there is problems uh, and when you started the week you typically didn't anticipate you anticipated other problems than what actually became the problems that you needed to work with mm-hmm. so there's not a single week where our brands don't have issues to tackle so this idea that you can sometimes get through the media that uh, that somebody just had a, a perfect uh, seven-year journey where they started in, in point A and then they went straight line to point B which was a success I don't think that has ever happened. Every startup has struggles and has challenges, mm-hmm. and uh, and ours definitely have uh, have had as well. So that, that's important to to clear out. And I think that's also important for any listeners that are wanting to build a new business that it is normal uh, to face challenges in in the journey and prepare for it. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> so so that, that's one thing. Then in terms of of what is giving energy and and drive. I think I'm, I'm fascinated about building and sort of seeing things grow. 
I love when somebody comes to me with something that's maybe only a PowerPoint or something that's very early stage and then seeing this uh, small seed becoming a, a small plant that becomes a tree that gets bigger and bigger roots and uh, and sort of taking the metaphor and saying it goes from being this PowerPoint idea to a prototype to a business that hires its first couple of employees to a business with 10, 20, 50, 100 employees. I just think that that journey is, is really fascinating and it's very rewarding to be able to see. I wanted to ask about, you know, having all these successful brands. I'm assuming the majority of them, they do grow out from Denmark and globalization or cross-border selling is very important. So what are some things that you've done to make sure that being international becomes a little smoother? So one thing we have done very actively is we have worked to recruit foreigners here in uh, in our office. So more than half of the people that, that work here is uh, not Danish natives. Uh, they, they're coming from abroad. And the relevant thing and, and why we're doing that is because when we're entering a new market, having one or two people that is native to that market, understand the culture, understand what are the relevant medias to work with, uh, what are the relevant payment, payment gateways in, in those markets, what do people expect to see, we, we find really, really important in order to be able to localize the experience that you have on our international stores. We typically work with a model where we say for each country that we try to target, we hire a country manager that is then native to that country that uh, that leads the efforts towards that market. Um, and that's definitely a thing that I think has helped us uh, with, with some of the international sales. Are there any goals you have for yourself in the next chapter or what are some future projects that you can share with us? So we set up a small office in, in California. I think we're maybe going to do a little bit more business in, in the U.S. compared to Europe going, going forward uh, with, with that presence that we established uh, overseas. Then I also think that some of these companies that we are in that is deep into the CSR space, I also find those really fascinating and they have a special place close to my heart. <laughs> so I, uh, I hope that we will also get to... Uh, to find a couple more really, really cool uh, uh, mission-driven companies. Mm -hmm. That's very exciting. Um, And I think it makes a lot of sense because there is a huge hub of influencers and also social stars uh, within America that might potentially uh, be able to work with you guys as well. Um, But also just, you know, the startup scene and also the energy there within San Francisco. So that's very exciting to hear. Yeah, we'll see what the uh, what the future brings, but uh, but definitely some of these uh, mission driven companies. I I hope we will we'll get a chance to find some of the right ones in that segment. Mm-hmm. Amazing, I think I have indulged in all the questions I wanted to ask. Are there areas that are important or you feel like uh, we haven't talked about that you want to highlight? I think uh, we have been uh, been covering uh, a wide array of of interesting. Uh, things that you asked about. I think the only thing really is to, to tell the new entrepreneur that's listening to, uh, to your podcast that uh, failure is, uh, is normal and happens to, uh, to many uh, new startups and trying one, two or three times is, 
is definitely uh, all okay and um, and just the best of luck to everybody out there sitting with with their wonderful new business ideas mm-hmm. no i love that and i think failure as long as you are keep working at it could just become a hurdle and an interesting story you tell about your journey it's only when you stop uh then it becomes an actual failure so yeah, yeah. of course failure is really really painful for almost everyone when they are going through it uh, but it, it can be a, a learning path to uh, what could then later become a success. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Kristen. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thanks for tuning in into this episode of Shopify Masters. I'm Schwang, and if you enjoyed Christian's story of building multiple brands and Blazar Capital, leave a comment for Shopify Masters on your listening platform so the show can be discovered by others. Until next time on Shopify Masters.